Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson. And Bridget Spackman, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. We're back with one of your favorite episodes. That might be a lie. We have no <laughs> idea if it's your favorite, but these episodes are some of our most popular, so you know, we can just pretend we are going to share some quick tips for time-sucking hurdles that have been submitted via our website at teachyonthedouble.com slash TSH. And because this is going to be a TSH episode, we are going to just bypass the normal like TSHs <laughs> that we do at the very beginning, and we're going to jump right on in to our very first TSH. Yes, our first TSH is from a top teacher. This top teacher says, Hi, I loved listening to your podcast as I get ready in the morning. However, I do always forget something. It's always something. This results in me being stressed and sometimes late to school. Help. Yeah, I relate to this so much because I feel like the older that I've gotten, the worse it ends up getting for me. Um, But my recommendation to you, and Michelle, you're going to have to chime in and remind me where we got this from. Was it Dave, was it David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, where we talked about like having a notebook to be able to catch your thoughts? Yes. Getting Things Done was like one of the, the right? overarching rules was capture everything. So as soon as something comes into your mind, you need some place to capture it. Yes. So top teacher, I would recommend having some form of a small notebook. I wouldn't do like a normal paper size notebook, something that's relatively small that you can carry around with you and literally write everything down. Now, the biggest piece here is that when you write it down, you do need to go back and review it and move all of those items where they need to go. So we highly recommend using um, Google Tasks. um, And that way you can assign all of your tasks and put them in specific spots. But I have been using it since we have read David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, and it really has helped me be able to capture all of my thoughts, especially during the during the night or if I'm trying to focus in a meeting and I'm like, ooh, I have a thought in my head, I immediately just take out my notebook and I write it down. And that has been really beneficial. Yeah, I would suggest as much as possible the night before, you know, packing up all of your things, having your teacher bag right by the door, having your lunch packed. That way it's less that you have to worry about in the morning, especially if, you know, you need to grab a a certain book, go ahead and grab it the night before and put it in your bag. But as Bridget mentioned, you need a way to capture those last minute thoughts because we all have them. Personally, I just do it all digitally because I don't always have a notebook with me, but I always have my phone. So what I will do when I think of something, I will add it into my Google Tasks. Now, we talk about having Google Tasks for your power list, your things to do this week, and then like your future to-dos. Obviously, depending on what it is, I will put it where it needs to go. But for most things, if it's something I plan on doing that day, I will add it to my power list. And even though that will increase the number of items on my power list, it's usually something very small. So for example, two nights ago, Billy wasn't home and I wanted to run the dishwasher after I ate dinner so I could put my dinner dishes in there. But before I went to bed, because I like to open the dishwasher door as soon Mm -hmm. as it's done so that the dishes actually get dry. 
And I was afraid that I would forget to actually run it. So I had run dishwasher on my power list. It took two seconds to go over and start the dishwasher. I just needed that reminder. And as Bridget mentioned, you need a system where you're actually going to follow up. And so for me, because I'm constantly checking Google tasks, I feel like that just works really, really well. But one other little hack, if you need help reminding or like remembering something, I did this as a kid and I still do it now as an adult. I will take something random near me. So like right now I have a fake potted plant. If I remember, oh, before I leave this room, I need to, you know, grab that book, whatever it is. I will just take the plant and like throw it over by the door because when I go to leave, I'm going to look down and be like, why is this plant here? And then I remember, oh yeah, it's because I wanted to to do something specific. It's just like a trigger for me mm-hmm. to know that there was something I wanted to not forget, if that makes sense. It does. It does. We use Alexa for things like that. So Alexa oh, is always idea. a reminder. Like we have Alexa all over the house. Mm-hmm. And so it's like an easy way for us to be like set a timer for so many minutes. And that will oh, yeah, help us timers. Remember. Yeah. We always use her for timers, but we don't, we use it for cooking, not for like a reminder. That's, oh, I like that. That's really everything. smart. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, Bridget has another TSH to share. Bridget, do you know the song Free Fallin' by Tom Petty? Uh, can you sing it to me? Trust me, no one wants to hear that, but you can Google it if you don't know the song. Anyway, I can't help but think of that song because we have a new freebie. Oh, I see what you did there and I love it. But yes, we do have a new monthly review planner insert and we're giving it to you all for free. If you head to teachingonthedouble.com right on the homepage and scroll down, you will see the link to have it sent directly to your email. Basically, it's an editable template that can be used to reflect on your month and then set goals moving forward. It can be added into either the tablet or Google Slides digital planners, and it includes both portrait and landscape orientations. Plus, it can be reused again and again. That's right. If you love this freebie and want to try any of our other digital planner inserts, check out our store at teachingonthedouble.com store and grab yourself some lesson planning inserts or unit planning inserts. And now back to the episode. Okay, so we are on to our second TSH from Jennifer. Jennifer says, I use the guided reading and guided math format in my grade three classroom. I have a full teacher EA for support, but her time does focus on a few select students. My students look engaged in our ELA and math station. They happily play games or read, but when I go back and I check in on their work, it's done poorly or not done. Do you have any advice for helping to ensure that students use their independent station time wisely, productive, like productively, and complete the tasks? Mm. Yeah, this one is always hard because you want them to be independent, but you need that form of accountability. Yes. So my mind goes a couple of places. First of all, I would really ask myself, what work am I having them do during that independent time? Is it meaningful or is it something like, oh, a worksheet to practice? And when I say meaningful, obviously not everything needs to be graded. Some things might be during that time because ultimately we need grades and that kind of brings in that form of accountability. But 
when I, so I'm going to use reading actually as an example, even though I didn't teach reading with like upper elementary very long, but when my students would do independent work, it was typically kind of like the assignments would build on each other. So what we would do on Monday, they would need that portion of their independent work to be able to complete a task on Tuesday. And like, so it was this continuation. So they had to get it done on Monday because they needed it for Mm -hmm. the next day type of thing. And I felt like that really helped to make sure that they were actually doing it you know, well, and also it would very much mirror whatever my mini lesson was that day. So there wasn't a lot of confusion about what they should be doing because they literally, we had already just done one together and now they're doing another one on their own, like with a different text, you know, an organizer, whatever it is. But Bridget, I'm curious on your thoughts. So I'm not a huge station person. I don't love stations mainly for that reason. And I think I got Mm -hmm. that from when I taught kindergarten because I feel like I went to go and check and everybody was just doing stuff that was random. And it was like, it's not meaningful. It's not purposeful. Like, why am I making them do it? Just because, you know, this is what everybody else is doing. Didn't make sense to me. So instead, I do a little bit of what you do where I will have an assignment from the mini lesson itself and then kids go out and they have to complete it and do it. Mm -hmm. But if I have anything extra that I want them to do, I really think about the purpose of it. So I utilize something called goal stations and depending on where they are in their learning, they're going to um, focus on a specific area. So like, let's say they don't really understand something completely. They're going to focus on the learning pieces, which might be like an ed puzzle, some form of like a video, a Nearpod, something that's going to help kind of guide them through the instruction so that it can support them. The next thing that they do is more like practice. Now with the practice, I make sure that I'm utilizing something that's going to give them immediate feedback, like an IXL, boom cards, um, look it, something to that extent that's going to allow them to say, oh yeah, I'm getting this answer wrong. Because a lot of the times they do that practice, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> and yeah. then they have to wait like three days to get feedback, which I hate. And so once they have shown that they understand that, then they can do- go and work on a project. And I like the projects because they're, they're self, it's like a choice board type situation. Mm. And so they get to choose something that they're really excited about. And that typically helps with me not having kids complete their work. But yeah. inevitably, it's going to happen. So you yeah. just have to stay on top of those kids and like go and double check and check in with them throughout the day. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's good advice. Yeah. TSH number three is from Tori, who says, our school district is terrible about telling us about upcoming events, and it really makes it hard to plan. How would you handle that? I've worked at the school district for quite some time, and they always throw things at us kind of last second. For new teachers, I'm sure they are super lost. Would you suggest discussing this with administration? Love the show, by the way. It really helps my ADHD brain process the daily tasks. Oh, I'm so glad that you love the show. So I feel like, Tori, you and I probably work at the same school um, <laughs> because I have to deal with the exact same things. So here is my recommendation. And here's what I've just been doing this year, because this is a new experience for me of not having like specific days, specific times already given to me. 
So the first is, is I will ask veteran teachers around me, hey, what are some things that you do during this time of the year that I can just write down? And so like we have things like a yearbook signing that's supposed to happen on Monday and I have no times for it. We have like a dance party, something again, I have no times for it. So it's like, I I know that it's going to fall on a certain day. I don't know when, how long it's going to end up being, which is a huge struggle when it comes to how do I plan? So I tentatively place those things down in my calendar, but then I try to come up with activities that I know that I can push back if I have to push back. So currently like they are working on a whodunit, which is something that can go span over the course of multiple days. It's very independent. I don't have to do a ton of like instruction with it. And that helps me a lot. So find some of those activities, maybe like a breakout or something that you can kind of insert there that's maybe not necessarily a lesson. Um, It's something fun, engaging, something that you can review that you can always pull out of your pocket and then use those during those specific times. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice. I I think the longer you teach, especially the longer you teach a specific grade level, you almost build a stockpile of some of those activities, which is really nice. So in terms of like, should you discuss this with administration? It really depends on your relationship with them. If you have been at the district for some time, like you said, you most likely have a good relationship with them. And I definitely think it's something you should bring up. If you don't have a great relationship with them, if your school has some kind of a like suggestion box, or Mm -hmm. I know we always had um, these like faculty council meetings where teachers could kind of bring their gripes, if you will. And then we would, we had like a team that would discuss it with administration. So that could be an option depending on your school setup. But if you are going to talk to admin directly, I always think it's important to come with not just the problem, but also a proposed solution, Mm -hmm. because then it's kind of taking some of the work off the administrator's plate and it's showing that you're taking initiative. So one thing I did at my last school that I felt like worked really well is I helped them set up a school-wide Google calendar that Mm -hmm. all the teachers could have access to. Only certain people could edit the calendar. So like admin and some of the front desk staff, but it was something where any of us could view it to be able to see these events. And if things changed, we could move them around. And I actually helped the front desk staff like set this up and get it going. So it wasn't more work on their plate. It just became kind of customary for them to add events to the calendar so everyone else could see it. But if there are, thank you. If there are things coming up where you're like trying to get dates and no one's giving you a a hard answer, just remember the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So just keep asking and keep hounding them until eventually like you will get an answer. Sometimes you have to be that annoying person in order to, to get the answer, but it is what it is. Nice. I love that. Okay. So we're going to move on to TSH number four. And I apologize if I say your name incorrectly. Halisa, is that how you would say it? That is how I would have said it. Okay. So this is TSH is from Halisa. And it says, not sure if this is a true time sucking hurdle, but more of an organizational issue. So here goes. When I um, was a uni student, I was introduced to Google Drive and had a student Google account that I used to store all my uni stuff like lessons, readings, and started collecting resources and bookmarks, etc. Not thinking that I would lose it all when I finished uni. 
I am now finishing in a few months and have a job to walk into. My problem is that I'm going to migrate my folder from my personal drive account. But then when I start using my Google account, I'm going to have my teaching resources all over the place. I am hoping you can shed some light on how you guys consolidate it all between personal and school for easier workflow or do you just share stuff, resources, with yourself in order to have access to them in one account? At the moment, my head is spinning with all the piles of my, of my stuff. Some are in books and binders, others are in personal drive, and that is connected to the TBT, and others on my student work. Looking to find something, resources, ideas that I need for a lesson is a mess and super time consuming. Any help would be much appreciated to streamline this. Mm. So first of all, I love uni. I can I tell Felisa is not from the U.S., but I love when when they call it uni. I just <laughs> okay. I'm over myself. So I and I'm curious if Bridget, if you have similar thoughts. I would say that my situation was always a little bit unique because as a content creator, as someone that creates resources that ultimately mm-hmm. I'm going to put on Teachers Pay Teachers or my website. I always had to keep that very, very separate from my school content because there are certain legalities involved in what's written into your contract where I I didn't want those crossing. Mm -hmm. So personally, a lot of the things that I would create, I would keep just on my personal drive. And then, for example, if I posted it on Teachers Pay Teachers, I would then re-download it from Teachers Pay Teachers and add that to my school drive. So it was very separate. And I know that that's kind of a unique situation that most likely does not apply to you. However, if I didn't have that little conundrum, (laughs) I would, I think personally want to have the main files stored on my personal drive, because if I am going to change schools or districts, I don't have to worry about losing it, but I would have them all in a folder and just share that folder with my school account so that I could also access it at any time from that account but I would make sure that my personal account was like the owner of those files and the owner of that folder. Uh, But Bridget, what are your thoughts? I was going to recommend the exact same thing because when I was at my previous district, I had so many files. I mean, it was six years worth of teaching in my school Google Drive. And it, y'all, it was a pain in the hiney to get all those files into my personal account. So now I do, that's what exactly what I do. I have my personal stuff separate from like, if I was to create like a spreadsheet for like students, I leave that on my school account. I don't put that into my personal account. Right, right. But any of the files that are like products, resources, lessons, that type of thing, I keep it on my personal and I share that folder. And it's just like classroom materials folder. And then I click Mm -hmm. in that and then I can just kind of break that down. And what's nice is then you can put that folder onto your main Google Drive so you have access to it really easily. But that is exactly what I was gonna recommend. Yeah, I was going to say Google Drive will allow you to create what's called a shortcut. So if you share the folder from your personal account with your school account, then on your school account, you can add a shortcut to your drive. So it'll look like the folder, you know, was created almost within Mm -hmm. your school drive. But in reality, that folder actually lives on the personal drive. Yeah. 
Well, our next TSH is from Maria, who says, my time-sucking hurdle is students' incomplete work. Mm. I usually pull students from whatever class they're in during my planning time and have them complete work they need to catch up on. Then I end up having to plan and mark in the evenings and weekends. I've tried having catch-up days where once a week and having students complete it as homework. It gets lost at home. But the incomplete work just keeps piling up. How can I make sure students are completing work and also take back my planning time? Thanks so much for all you do. I feel like this is a very, very common problem for mm-hmm. so many teachers, especially in elementary, because I think we have to pull small groups. And so we don't necessarily have the ability to stay on top of students, like as they're working independently, we have to just trust, and I say that in quotes, like trust that they're doing the work and they're not doing the work. So the first thing that I would ask you, Maria, is how much work are you really giving? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. is it something that you can just say, you know what, I don't need to give them all of these worksheets. You know, is there a way that you can reduce the amount of work that you are grading every single week? Now, I know Michelle had like specific things that she had to grade for. I don't necessarily have that Um, because Michelle, you weren't standards based, were you? No, we were not standards based. And we had a certain number of grades per subject area, per marking period that we had to collect. Okay. See, and so I'm standards based and I don't necessarily have that. And so I can grade however many I want to grade. And so for me, what I end up doing is I probably grade like two or three things a week. Like I, or maybe not even three, like two things a week. A lot of the things that I will do is going to be observational and it's going to be something that kind of goes along like project wise because they're going to work Mm. on one big project by the end of a specific unit. But I have like these smaller formative pieces that I'm collecting. And so ask yourself how much you're really giving students. And when you're thinking about the things that you're assigning to them, Ask yourself, is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? Is it going to be authentic? Is this going to be something that's going to help them grow? Or do you feel as though it's just busy? Like, I just need to collect a grade. I just need them to sit down and do something independently. Because there are other ways for you to assign work that can either be self-graded. It can give them immediate feedback. Like, add puzzles. Oh my gosh. Edpuzzle was like my favorite thing of the place of the planet. I love me an Edpuzzle. But between things like that, that you can assign to them, especially if you have um, devices in your classroom, I would start exploring some of those options. Yeah, my mind immediately went to the same place of how much work are you giving them and, and is it a necessity? I know personally, I only really kept up with things that were graded. So if a student didn't complete an assignment that I was taking as a grade, I needed them to complete it. However, I never, ever, 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 ever took them during my planning time. That was not, that was not a possibility even for me because my planning time is when my students were at like music or art or PE. I wasn't even allowed to pull them from that class because that was another class when I did pull them was typically first thing in the morning. So we were always standing at our doors as students are coming in, going to their lockers. And because we were departmentalized, sometimes the kid I needed was in a a different class. And as soon as I'd see him coming down the hallway, I'm like, hey, you, like, I need you, come here. And I'd have them unpack and they'd come sit in my room and get that assignment done. The issue then becomes there are those kids that get there late and they also have incomplete work. And you're like, when do I do this? And I know Maria mentioned 
you have this like catch-up day. I utilize ketchup and pickles typically on Fridays to kind of get caught up. And that's when I really focused on those kids that were coming in late, but also missing work. And so I couldn't get it done in the morning. But I will say there were times where you just let it go. Now, again, graded assignments are different, but I think back to when I did this like spotlight student where each week a student would be chosen out as like the spotlight and they'd have this little thing that they filled out all about themselves. And throughout the week, the rest of the class would write them letters of like, hey, I saw that you're really into Power Rangers. I love that too. And so at the end of the week, they would get this stack of letters from every kid in the class that was not graded. And obviously I wanted them all to write the letters, but there were some weeks where some kids didn't get to it and I just let it go because I'm like in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. Yeah, no, for sure. I really like that advice. TSH number six is from Audra. So Audra says, I am a former teacher turned stay at home mom. I was always productive at work, but now that I am at home, TV has been my TSH, (laughs) especially when my son is napping. I want to be productive at this time, but I find myself watching TV and also napping. So what are some tips to help me not turn the TV on or nap? I get enough sleep at night because my son sleeps all night. Thanks. <laughs> well, first of all, that's amazing that your son sleeps all night. I know, and, right? You know, I mean, a lot of parents would be super grateful for that. <laughs> but I'm also laughing because in the last episode, I shared that my TSH is yep. currently trying to clear out my Netflix queue. And so, so I'm constantly walking around watching stuff. So <laughs> I would say if you are wanting to watch TV, can it be like you're doing something else while you do it? So I know personally, like I will walk on my little treadmill and get in steps and I'll do very mindless tasks like answering emails Mm -hmm. and things during that time. But if you're really wanting to cut back on like the TV, I would recommend at night before you go to sleep, unplug the TV. That way you have to plug it back in before you can use it again. It creates friction. Yep, you know it, Bridget. But (laughs) I'm also laughing because I remember a babysitter that I went to growing up where I was no longer at the age where I was napping, but some of the other kids that were there would nap. So I would always kind of be there with the woman who was babysitting me. And she loved to watch soap operas when the kids were napping. And that's what I got an image of. As the world Um, turns. (laughs) Yes. All of the guiding light. Like, I don't even know all of them. I just remember she was very, very into it. But Bridget, do you have any suggestions? I was going to go extreme, Audra. I was going to say, cancel your Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing. I it's very interesting because I don't feel like I love TV as much. Like I am perfectly content not having the TV on and doing other things. Now, you talk to me about YouTube and that's a whole other situation because I will watch little YouTube videos and catch up to the people that I'm subscribed. But once I'm caught up, I'm done. And and typically they're pretty short, so I don't have to like worry about like binging and like getting sucked in. Um, but Trent and I have like we've started canceling stuff so that we're not consuming ourselves with so much TV time and we only pick like one I guess like what is it called like a, a one streaming for each platform. and then we just yeah, yeah, we keep hopping from platform to platform. It sounds a little extreme, but no, you want to be I, a diehard extreme person. Audra, I think my way is the best way. <laughs> 
But I almost wonder, because I just made this connection in my head. Okay. First of all, in the same way with YouTube videos. But second, I wonder if it's because when her son is napping, it's almost like it's too quiet and she wants to fill that that silence because I do that because I'm home by myself all day. I want stuff playing because it makes me feel less like by myself, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. No, so I wonder it does. if that plays a role. And see, and I, but I guess where I come into there is that I will put on movies that I've seen 500 and, you know, 78 yeah. times. Like I know them so well that I don't have to pay attention to it. So I can yeah. put it on in the background and not feel like it's consuming me. And that allows me to do other things. Yes. I have shows that I actually watch and then I have shows that are like background shows. Right. Right. So maybe you need <sighs> okay. a background show, Audra. Try like yeah. doing that. The Office. <laughs> the Office is my go-to. Harry the Potter. Office and Friends. <laughs> Great British Bake good. Off. Ugh. I finally okay. watched Shit's Creek. I'm sorry. Can I get <gasps> super? I know. Did you love it? I did love it. I it did took love me- it a whole season to get into it. The first season, I was like, I hate this. I don't love any of the characters. And then I got so sucked in. I, I love, love that show. Fold it in. Just fold it in. David. <laughs> mm, I'm not going to do any of that, but. <laughs> okay, moving on. And now whenever I hear the song, The Best, Simply the Best by Tina Turner, uh-huh. I think of that scene from the show. Uh, okay, <laughs> moving on. Our next TSH is from Sydney, who says, my classroom library. Ugh. I teach third grade and I have had my library all organized by genre. Well, over time, it has not been maintained and it needs a complete overhaul. And it just seems like such an overwhelming task that I keep putting off. I even tried to have the kids help me. They made new genre labels. Thanks for that idea, Bridget. I had them sort the bins that they made genre labels for, and I was like, oh, we'll just do this a little at a time. There were books everywhere. (laughs) I think that they are too young to help make it the way I want. Is the only way to tackle this coming in on a weekend or staying super late? Please help. Um, So Sydney, I've been exactly where you've been because in kindergarten, (laughs) I had book bins. And so I would label it like animals or transportation. Like I would have them organized by that. And so I had like the label on the outside, the label, but kids still put things back in all different locations, right? So then as I went into upper elementary, I focused just on genres. And so that is kind of where I've stuck. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I am not picky about it. If if it is in the right color, I don't stress about it. If it's not alphabetized, if it's not put in the, like, I don't stress about it. And I don't utilize the bins as much anymore. I have like one Ikea cube shelf where I will have a few bins that are labeled like graphic novels, Mrs. Backman's favorites, which is like all the Harry Potter series and the Spiderwick Chronicles. And then I will have some of the like um, science fiction ones, things that I don't have a ton of that just don't fit on my shelf because I don't have enough space. I have way too many books and that has worked okay. I will be honest, my students this year, I feel like they would put the books in with the spines going like not facing the outside would drive me nuts. They would put them in the wrong category. Again, 
drives me nuts. And so I felt like I was constantly having these conversations with them of, hey, guys, can we please put these books back? Like, what do you notice? What do you see that's not okay here? Let's talk about it. How do they go? Okay, you know how to do it. They're just being stinkers and they just don't want to do it properly. Yeah. But I don't stress about where they go. So long as it is in the color, I just have them all kind of in a bookshelf lined up and that's really it. I don't even utilize the bins much anymore. The other thing I would recommend is to find a library assistant. You can have like Mm -hmm. an application and then have your students apply for it. And in each of your classes, if you have more than one, you can assign like two library assistants. And then at the end of the week, they are responsible for going in and kind of cleaning out your library and putting things back properly. Yeah, that was going to be my suggestion as well. I will say, and you might not even want to use my advice because I have never been one to organize by genre. I think because that's never been how I have found books. I don't care about the genre. I care more about like the overall just topic of the book. And so I've always used kind of those categories, like you mentioned in kindergarten. Um, but with the way that I organized them, the label on the bin had an image and I had that same image on each book. And so that way kids just had to, to, instead of figuring out like, well, what category does this book go into? They just had to match the image to the label. And I felt like that worked very well. My library rarely got super mixed up. And again, I had that like librarian who would, which was a student who would come in and reorganize the books on a weekly basis to help maintain it. In terms of like setting that up from the beginning, it was a lot of work to like get all the things labeled, get them all in the right place. And I don't want to say, yeah, come in on a weekend or stay super late. I mean, if that works for you, then great. Take a day, get it back in shape, get a library to kind of keep it moving forward. But you could also consider just like putting almost like caution tape around your library. And it's like, hey, off limits under construction and have the books scattered and work on it a little bit at a time. But it might take, you know, two weeks before your students are able to use it again. So you just have to find what works for you. Yeah, for sure. I like that advice. So TSH number eight is from (laughs) um, Ayin. Sure. Is that how you would say it, Ayin? I I don't know. Annie, Amy, I, I feel I'm like guessing. It, I don't. Yeah. Um, either way, I do very much apologize if I said your name incorrectly. And I would love for you to like tag me in social media and let me know how your name is actually pronounced. So it's A-I-N-E and it says, hello from Ireland. Oh, I love it. I want to go there so bad. I love listening to your podcast every week and I've picked up so many tips. I'm always so jealous when I hear you talking about the planning time or your kids going to specials, which are in quotes. We don't have any of that here. We teach from 9 to 3 p.m. and are on the go all day with our class. We teach literacy, numeracy, Irish, science, history, geography, visual arts, music, drama, PE, S-P-H-E, which I'm very curious what that is, and religion. It's a lot, and I find it hard to keep up with my planning. We submit monthly plans retrospectively, so basically an account of what we got done. I feel like I already know your answers. Power lifts, tough love, create templates and systems, stay until 4 p.m. Ah, (laughs) I just need to put it all into practice. Maybe my TSH is listening to too many podcasts about what I should be doing instead of just doing it. Anyway, 
I love your YouTube channels and podcasts, so thank you both from a busy mom of two smallies. Luckily, I'm on mat leave. Um, I'm assuming that's maternity leave at the moment, so I never miss an episode. Mm. Well, first of all, thank you so much for all of your kind words. I will be honest, when Bridget and I picked this TSH out, I think we both were kind of in this, like, I don't understand how, and I know that that this happens in places, but I don't get it, how you can not have any planning time given to you. Like I, I struggle to wrap my brain around like, but when are you supposed to prep? When are you supposed to grade? And I don't understand from a legal standpoint, like how that even happens. Um, so obviously there's only so much advice we can give you because at the end of the day, if you don't have planning time, you have to plan at some point. Right. And so that might mean staying a little bit after school or getting there a little early or spending time on the weekend, whatever works best for you. Because if you are not given any planning time during the week, then you have to plan at some point. But with that being said, I think my best suggestion would be keeping your plans as simple as possible and really relying on your students to be doing a lot of the work. Like you are really just the facilitator. And I mean, you should always just be the facilitator in terms of learning, but really allowing them to kind of take control where you are are prepping and preparing minimal amounts of materials and they're really taking it over. So for example, if you're wanting to play a review game, let's say you're going to play the review game on Friday, maybe Wednesday and Thursday, students are working in groups coming up with the questions and the answers. And then you use those to play the review game on Friday. Like that's where my mind goes. Um, But again, I think I just struggled to understand like, how are you not given any planning time? Yeah. (laughs) Bridget, what are your thoughts? I completely agree with you. I think it is like a very foreign thing for us to be able to wrap our heads around. But I agree with everything that Michelle says, especially with kind of putting students into that driver's seat where they're the ones that are responsible for making a lot of the materials. You know, I am going to like do a little sidetrack story real quick. But when I married Trent, um, Trent's family, whenever they do any sort of celebrations, like especially birthdays is what I'm thinking of. They were like, oh, well, we're going to let Blaine go out and like pick all of his stuff for his birthdays. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm doing that. I need to do all of that. I need to have it ready. I want it to be a surprise. I don't want him to see any of it. And so they had to really push me outside of my comfort zone of just like getting him involved. And it's so interesting how excited he would get. And so then Mm -hmm. I started incorporating that into the classroom where it was like, oh, if I do like a transformation for the day, the students are going to help me set up some of the decorations. That way they're excited about coming into school tomorrow because they know what's waiting for them and they're really pumped up about it. So I love that idea. Here's my recommendation. I will often tell teachers that the progression that you create in your curriculum, that's never going to change, okay? How you accommodate it, how you maybe present that information, how you support that, how you differentiate it, that is going to be the piece that changes for your students because, again, no student is going to be the same. But progressions are going to always be consistent because just as a baby, they have to be able to pick their head up, roll over, sit up, crawl. Like There is a natural progression for how you present information. So 
if you have time, especially over your summer where you have like a longer break, spend time organizing it into lessons. So like if you say, okay, I'm going to do literacy and I know for literacy, I have to teach summarizing. So I'm going to have a summarizing unit and here are going to be like the 10 to 15 ish lessons. Like here's my progression already planned out. And then from there, you can just come back to that and have it ready to go. All you have to do is prep some of the materials at that point. So planning ahead and just having that prepared in advance might be really beneficial for you. Yeah. But as she said, it's like she knew what we were going to tell her of like the the powerless and tough love. And I think that all is also true, but also give yourself some grace because it's a tough situation. And like we, you know, we don't have a perfect solution for you. There rarely is a perfect solution. Yes. You have to kind of pick the best of the not so great yes. solutions. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Our next TSH is from Michaela. Michaela says, my TSH lately has been trying to deal with behaviors. Amen. Sorry. (laughs) My, My homeroom kids are so rude to each other and even adults and always have to make a comment or have the last word. Anytime they can't pick their partner or group, about half of them groan at who they're working with and say, ugh, I don't want to work with Susie or I can't believe I have to work with John. It becomes an ongoing thing trying to end the bickering in class, discussing proper ways of handling situations, and me looking up solutions or team builders that won't end in an all-out brawl. I'm at my wit's end and don't know what to do, but I can't just let them go on thinking this is acceptable. Michaela, I feel like you and I have been living the same life this year because I have been the exact same way with my students. And it's really, really sad that we, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I just don't give them those activities. I, I just, I, we don't do those activities because I, and I have those conversations with them. I do a morning meeting every single time I have them. We sit down, we talk about what are some of the behaviors that we should have, but it's just so interesting. And it's the life that they live where they think that a lot of the behaviors that they're showing is cool. And they and they're mm. tough. And so we have conversations about this all the time of like, why would you treat somebody that way? Like I had a kid come up to me saying, yeah, I just slapped that person. And they were proud of it. They were proud of slapping. I think it was like a first grader and my kids are in fourth grade. Mm. And so it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, why are why are you coming off this way? And so one, I think really focusing on building community is going to be the biggest thing. I wouldn't do those activities if I were you. I would cut down on those activities as much as possible. I know that you have to do it because you have to build practice and have conversations around it, which I am totally for. But I don't do really big things anymore because I just can't. We just take it too far every single time. And so I will focus on building community. We have lots of family matter moments where it's like we're just coming together and having conversations about the behaviors that we're noticing. And then we will have some activities that we'll do and I will just have reminders. And so when I'm noticing things that I'm really, really proud of, I'll say that, oh man, I see so-and-so is doing this and I'm really, really proud of them. Or like, thank you such and such person for, you know, demonstrating this type of behavior. And I find that that does help, but it doesn't remedy the entire thing. So Mm -hmm. I wish I had like a magic wand that I could just fix it all for you. Unfortunately, I don't. So I'm interested to hear what Michelle says. I mean, honestly, my brain went to some years be like that. <laughs> That's like such a, an off-the-cuff I mean, way though. to put it. 
But I, the more experience I gained, the more I realized there are just some groups of students that don't get along. It's just like the combination. Yes. Yes. And it was amazing how year to year, the makeup of the class and those personalities could have drastic differences. And especially if you become that teacher that they want to kind of offload all the behaviors on because they're like, well, you're good with these students. But then you have a whole class of students who are all, it's like this power struggle because they all want to be that like top dog. And so from my experience, I've realized there are just some years where no matter what you do, it's never going to be sunshine and rainbows. Of course, you can do activities and have those conversations and things can get better But there are some years where it's just, no. And I think it's important for us as teachers not to feel like that's our fault. I, the more I think on it, the more I realize that I just feel like teachers are having to take way too much responsibility for everything. You know, the test scores, the behavior, we always want to make it seem like it's something that we're having direct control over. And like, we are the ones that need to make changes. We need our students to start taking more responsibility for their academics, for their learning, for their behavior. Like we need to stop doing all of this for them. Like a student misbehaves and suddenly it's us who has to change our classroom management plan to adapt to them. That's not the real world. And that's not doing them any favors later down the road. So (laughs) with that being said, kind of like Bridget mentioned, I don't have a great solution. It's just, hey, some years are like that. Do the best that you can. As Bridget mentioned, don't do those activities. And, you know, just allowing them to realize like it's almost I think sometimes the kids want to keep misbehaving because they're like, oh, well, when when I misbehave, we then have this discussion about it and I don't have to do any work. So trying to find ways to like have those discussions, but still like keeping them accountable for what they have to get done. Um, not necessarily like through homework or anything like that, but just making sure that I guess the, the time that you spend dealing with those behaviors isn't distracting from the actual like learning and assignments, because I think kids can pick up on that very easily. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I would just go, I would say, okay, we're going to all rows and you're just going to work independently. Like that's kind of where we're at. And I did it multiple times this year, multiple times. And I agree with Michelle. Some years, the cohorts, woo, they just, they give you a run for your money. So we are on to our last TSH from a top teacher. And this top teacher says, I am the veteran, end quote, teacher on my team, but I'm only in my eighth year of teaching middle school. My My TSH has been being the rock for my team. One of my teammates is a first year teacher and the other two are brand new to my school, but not new teachers. They all have their struggles, but I am particularly struggling to help them with their classroom management and acclimating to our school. I find them constantly coming in my room to get help. I feel such a responsibility to help them because I feel like things will fall apart if I don't. I'm going to try, uh, I'm trying to do things with them and not for them, but I'm really Mm. struggling to maintain my own work-life balance. Mm -hmm. help. Mm. Honestly, my brain immediately goes back to what I was just saying about how with our students, we're not letting them take enough responsibility. It's almost like we want to be these superheroes who put on our capes and fly in and save them, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, we care about them so much. We just want to make things better, but in reality, it doesn't help them in the long run. So my brain with this kind of goes to that same area of 
instead of when they come to you with a question, you providing an answer, what you really want to do over time is, is teach them how to get the answer on their own. You know what I mean? It's not always Mm -hmm. giving them the answer. It's teaching them how to find the answers to their own questions. And yes, like as a first year teacher, you have so many questions and now like being separated from that and being in a more veteran position, you want to be able to alleviate some of that, but we also don't want to hold their hands too much because we need them to, to learn and, and grow. So my brain goes to have a system for them to ask for help. So I know as a fourth grade team, we used to meet weekly for our like collaborative planning and I would send out the Google doc, which was like our agenda a full week ahead of time. So all week, the rest of the team could add anything they wanted to discuss at the meeting to the agenda, and they could put questions on there, et cetera. Obviously, some questions might need to be answered in the moment. And if that's the case, make sure those new teachers know, like, when is it okay to come in your room and when is it not? So for example, if you want to really protect your planning time and you don't want to be interrupted because you want that work-life balance, then maybe you communicate with them like, hey, please don't interrupt my planning time, but you could come see me 10 minutes before the kids come in or write a dismissal as they're leaving, like give them a time slot. And then for any non-urgent matters, have a system for them to like reach out for help. Like I mentioned with like a collaborative planning agenda or something like that. And then try to focus on, instead of always giving them the answers, instead teach them how to get the answers on their own. So instead of just giving them resources, show them how you find resources, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Where does your brain go, Bridget? So first, I'm really annoyed with school districts because, and or just schools mm-hmm. in general, because it, I feel like I am that teacher that is new to a district, but I am not a new teacher. So I feel like yeah. I have some of it, but my questions are like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, what do you guys yeah. have me doing? And I am just so frustrated with these schools not having it together and helping to ensure that these teachers are being supported. It is absolutely ridiculous that I feel like I'm having to go to people and figure things out on my own. Why not have a freaking meeting? I'm sorry. (laughs) Why not have a meeting where it's like you could give that information? You know conferences are coming up. So as a principal, have a meeting, pull all your new teachers together. Hey, here's how we kind of do things. Now here's what your next steps are going to end up being. I'm just so annoyed with it. I feel like it is, they're unbelievably unorganized and it's so frustrating. So I do, I am so sorry to this top teacher because I feel like this is what I'm doing to my partner. Yeah. But I really liked Michelle's advice. I especially like the advice of really making sure to protect your planning time because it's interesting because I'm the new teacher to the school, but I'm not a new teacher. But my fourth grade ELA teacher, who's kind of like on our team, is a new teacher, but she was here for like half a year last year. But she comes to me with all the questions on ELA. And so I just make it known that if my door is closed, please don't bother me. Like it is very rare that somebody's going to knock on my door during that time because they know that if I have my door open, it's okay to come into my classroom. But if my door is closed, my door is closed for a reason and I don't need you bothering me. And so I kind of set that tone from the very, very beginning. Um, And that has really helped me be able to protect some of that time. I would also agree with Michelle's idea of just having um, 
a, a system so that you could have a meeting to be able to discuss some of the points that need to be discussed. Honestly, I feel like I would tell them you need to hound the principal. You need to hound the principal. Yeah. Because when you make other people feel uncomfortable or annoyed, it's like that's when we start to move forward into having a better system in place to supporting new teachers. Because it's not your responsibility to do that. You should not be have the weight of everybody else on your team um, just because you are, quote unquote, the veteran teacher there. So oh, I'm so annoyed for you. <laughs> Yeah. I know like when I was team lead, that kind of became the responsibility of like, hey, if you're a team lead and you have a new teacher on your team, mm-hmm. like take them under your wing. And and like you said, it's not fair. And especially if you have multiple new teachers, it gets tricky. And I felt bad because we had a new teacher come in like, you know, right during the pandemic. And so I'm trying to help her, but I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing I with know. all of this. And I think what you mentioned about like keeping your door closed and setting that boundary. So many of us are scared to set boundaries, but if you think about it, if someone else sets a boundary with me, I don't, I don't look at them in a negative way. In fact, I kind of respect it because in my mind, I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. So we need more people Mm -hmm. who are willing to kind of make that uncomfortable decision to set the boundary and show people, hey, it's okay to do this. And ultimately, like people will respect it so long as you are you hold yourself accountable with being consistent. And it's interesting with it. because even in our friendship, you and I have boundaries with each other too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's kind of, I don't think we've ever really like said those boundaries to one another, but I think we've just recognized it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know that there are certain times, like, I know Bridget's not going to respond to me. <laughs> like, yep, this, yep. this is her boundary and same goes for you. Like, I know that if you're doing something specific, there is no way in the world that Michelle's going to ever contact me back. Um, and that's just, that is our mutual respect. It's not that she doesn't want to talk to me. She's annoyed with me. It's just that. Yeah. That's just how we work. That's how we do things. Yep. And I think there's a lot of times, this will be our last point, I swear, (laughs) but there are times where Bridget and I use a lot of like voice messages just because it's easier to send. And we've kind of established that it's like, hey, send me voice messages. That's fine. I may not get to them Mm -hmm. for two days. Like I may not have the time to listen. You're free to send them. Yeah. But so it's almost like, okay, the person sending them doesn't have to feel bad about sending them at whatever time if they know the other person's busy. But at the same point, the person who's getting them doesn't have to feel guilty about not responding. Like we've established, hey, it's okay. Like there is a mutual understanding. Like, yep, send them. I just might not get back to them right away. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Well, that was a doozy of an episode, but I do love these (laughs) because it's full of just random good advice and advice from various perspectives. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to head over to teachingonthedouble.com, submit your own time-sucking hurdle right at the top of the website. You'll see where it says TSH. Just click that. You can submit it for your chance to be featured in a future episode. If you have not already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you listen. All that does is it tells your podcast platform like, hey, I really like this. Can you download the episodes for me as soon as they are dropped, which we drop episodes every Thursday morning, and that way it will be fresh and ready to go for you when you have time to listen. And if you are listening to us through Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes because that does help our podcast be able to get into the ears of so many more teachers. Until next time, be timely, stay organized, and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.